0: God is at work through his local church and through the teaching of his word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Carney E. Free. Here's Pastor Adrian Boykin. About a month ago, my wife and I watched the movie Elvis. Did anyone else watch that? Okay, see a few hands sheepishly going up. It's okay, I admitted it. You can too if you did. Uh, I can't recommend that entire movie, though it was uh, it was very interesting, I'll put it that I'm not an Elvis scholar by any means, can't tell you uh, if it was completely accurate, though Wikipedia said that it was pretty true to historical events, so there you go. Anyway, the end of the movie, Elvis's longtime manager, this man named Colonel Parker, is reflecting on what killed Elvis, and he is dead, I hope I'm not bursting anyone bubble, but uh, what killed him at like the very young age of 42, seemingly when the world was his oyster. And Parker reflects in the movie as it comes to an end, some say it was his heart that killed him. Others say it was the pills. Others still say it was me, his manager, that killed him. But none of those was it, that wasn't it. I'll tell you what killed Elvis, love. It was love that killed Elvis, he says. And then if you've seen the movie, the next thing the director does is cut to all these scenes where you have Elvis on stage and tons of adoring women just fawning over him trying to get up on stage and like these video cuts of him from one woman to another woman to Um, moping around in his penthouse suite in the hotel that he lived in in Las Vegas where he would uh, take pills and then drink and then get back on stage for the adulation of the crowds that adored him. And then you see these scenes of him losing his wife and losing his daughter. And in essence, what Parker is saying there is what killed him was an infatuation with the false love of the crowds, which he exchanged for the good, ordinary love of his daughter and his wife. And that exchange ended up ruining his life. Now some of us are dealing with some kind of stronghold ourselves. In a room this size, I can promise you, and what I know about our church is this, many of us are struggling in some area of life that has become a stronghold of sorts, even a lifelong battle for us. Much like Elvis experienced, it could be an addiction to some kind of substance, or to alcohol, or to sex, or to pornography. It could be an addiction with your stomach, that food just has overarching control over your life. It could be some kind of passion like that. It could be anger, that you just constantly live with a level of anger underneath the surface that bubbles up at a moment's notice and you go off. It could be for some like the pride of always needing to be right such that you just walk around through life constantly judging people no matter where you go. It could be for others like this stronghold of like always worrying about money that I'm never going to have enough even though I've always had enough. This constant worry about money that leads you to always look at the stock accounts and always look at your bank accounts and constantly fret about that. And it can become a stronghold, can it not? Each of these things can. I haven't necessarily had one of those strongholds in my life, but I've had plenty of struggles, plenty of temptations that have gone deep and that have threatened to become strongholds in my life if I'm not careful. I've struggled at times with the impatience that has bubbled up at times to anger. And I've struggled at times with the pride of needing to show that I am right and someone else is wrong. How silly. It's just silly thinking. Recently, kind of out of nowhere, I struggled with the sense of bitterness. A little bit of bitterness had crept into my soul and I didn't know where it had come from other than some suffering experiences that I had dealt with and all of a sudden I was like holding a grudge in my mind. And questioning God for a moment. And it's really interesting when you struggle with anything, if you're not careful, from that temptation, you'll oftentimes get this spinely little finger poking right between your eyes saying, see, you will never be the kind of Christian you want to be. You'll never be the kind of disciple that you've always wanted to be since you became a Christ follower. You're really not the husband. You're really not the father. You're really not the pastor that you want to be. Never quite enough. You know, self-rejection, some of us in this room, we struggle with self-rejection. And I just want you to know, if you struggle with self-rejection, self-rejection is one of the great enemies to the spiritual life. Okay, God does not reject you, not by any means. And so who are we to reject ourselves? Self-rejection is one of the great enemies to growth in the spiritual life. Those thoughts that I've wrestled with can be so very dangerous because those thoughts can birth a struggle which then can mature into a stronghold which then can become a lifelong battle if we're not careful. So what I wanna do here this morning is just give you four words that are critical for us in any battle that we face, any temptation that we might be facing that we could interrupt the struggle when it's a struggle in order to prevent it from becoming a stronghold. I don't know if you're a note taker, but If you are a note taker, I encourage you to take notes. If you're not a note taker, I encourage you to take notes. Because this is an important message. This relates to all of us, because all of us struggle in different ways, not the same ways, but every single one of us is the same, in that we have some area of spiritual or ethical struggle. The first word is this, and I just want to encourage you as it relates to the enemy that we face, the enemies that we face, you must start by being alert. Be alert to the battles, though, that are in front of us. Be alert to the enemies, though, that we have. In fact, there's not just one enemy. There are three enemies that we all face. Okay, the first one is our own selves, right? It's the man or woman that's in the mirror. It's our own flesh. Such that we do what we do not want to do, as Paul says in Romans 7. And the very thing that we want to do, for some reason we have a very difficult time doing that. This is the battle, though, that we all face. It's interesting to me, well, when I meet people who say they do not believe in the Christian view of the human condition, though, that says we're all kind of bent in upon ourselves, that we all have this selfishness, though, that mostly looks within ourselves, like all you need to do is watch two toddlers in one room with one toy, and you'll quickly see the human condition, okay? The human condition has not changed. We are bent in on ourselves, and we struggle with that. That's our first enemy, our second enemy is the world around us, and all of the information that comes to us, all of the screens, all of the images, all of the temptations from the world that is quite a bit more than perhaps our ancestors faced because of the way we are constantly bombarded by images today. That's our second battlefront. And our third spiritual enemy is called Satan who the Bible describes as holding a significant degree of sway on this dark world. Let me give you a few examples. Jesus repeatedly calls Satan the prince of the air, the prince of the power of this world. Jesus used that word. The apostle John, the closest friend of Jesus, said, we are children of God, but the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Do you think of the enemy to our souls that way? That he holds a level of control over the entirety of the world and the dark systems that are around us? 1 John 5:19. the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The Apostle Paul goes on and he says this in Ephesians 6, which we'll look at in a few moments. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, which means... Your battle, if you have a battle that you're facing right now, perhaps relationally, please believe this by faith, that relational battle is mostly not against another person. Do not think of other people as the main place of your battle. Once you think of yourself as battling against other people or starting to think of other people as those that you would hate, well, guess what? It will be almost impossible for you to reach them with the hope of Christ. You don't want to think about people that way, because our battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against the powers and the principalities, the spiritual forces of this dark world. Now, those are just a few examples, and what do you make of all of that? That's a pretty significant influence that the enemy has here in this dark world. The truth is, whether we want to admit it or not, is there are essentially two kingdoms, There's a kingdom of God and there's a kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of light and joy and peace and love and goodness and righteousness. And the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the enemy which influences the different world systems in this world is a kingdom of violence and hatred and lust and greed and pride. We live in a, world, in a war zone where struggles turn into addictions in individual lives all the time. Right? I, I mean, let, let, let's, just, let's just be honest about it. Just look at the wreckage of human life. We see it around us all the time. And so as a result of all of that, the Apostle Peter puts it succinctly. He says, be on guard. Please, my friends, be alert. Be on, your, be on guard because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Be on guard. Stay alert. Now, here's the deal. Generally, we will be tempted in our lives in at least one of three different main ways. I think of three different large categories of temptation. Whether it comes from Satan, from our own flesh, or from the world, there's three different large categories of temptation, and they go like this. Pride, lust, or greed. Okay. Another way you could put this would be pride, passion, or possessions. Okay, Whether it be passion for alcohol, or for food, or for the lust of the eyes related to pornography, that's all under that rubric of passion. Pride, judgmental spirit, oftentimes anger, all under that rubric of pride. And then possessions, greed, covetousness, I can't see that someone else has something nice that I really want without this gotta have it gene going into play okay? Pride, passion, possessions, or as one pastor has put it, girls' glory or gold. Or guys' glory or gold. You get the picture here. And from those large three branches, there are all kinds of ugly shoots that grow in many different directions. And so to be alert about those branches and our spiritual enemy is to regularly ask ourselves this question, where am I tempted? Where am I likely to struggle? And I'm telling you, all of us is likely to struggle in at least one of those three broad areas. And so to be alert is to say, you know, I'm tempted by greed. And so because I'm tempted by greed, I'm gonna be really, really careful what I look at online. I'm gonna be really, really careful not to compare what I have to what someone else has. And when I see that coming in, I'm gonna admit that to God, I'm gonna ask for his help, that I'd be content with what I have. Now I would choose contentment to live beneath, beneath my, my means. Like, really, right now is a really good time for Americans to get back in the habit of living beneath our means. It's a really good time to do that. To start living beneath our means, though, that we would say, I don't need everything that I want, and in fact, I'll purchase some things that are less than what I could purchase. This would be a really, really good time to do that. Okay? Comparison, Please remember, comparison eight days a week is a thief of joy. And so we don't compare, we don't get into that greed game. You set up guardrails around that. Likewise, maybe it's the lust of the flesh. Like what do you do to put up fortresses in your life to guard your eyes, to guard your heart? What fortresses do you regularly put up? Or pride, do you commit yourself to never saying a judgmental word about anyone? Like that is how you fight pride. Do you commit yourself to never boasting? Like never going online and boasting about my pretty little life? Oh my, I better be quiet here. Okay, like I think all of social media would probably shut down if we eliminated pride. <laughs> may it be Lord Jesus, may it be. Okay. okay, so like you put around these fortresses, you just determine what are, what are my areas of weakness? And nobody's throwing stones, we all have these. You have to determine what are my areas of weaknesses and then you have to put up guard against them. And another thing that you do to stay alert and put up guard is you bring a couple guys into the battle. I see a couple men in this room right now who are with me in the battle and they know where I struggle and I go to them and I ask them for prayer and they come to me and they ask me for prayer and we aren't ashamed to admit we need each other's help. That's putting up fortresses around your life. And most importantly, every single day you say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Holy Spirit, come into my life and give me strength because I do not have it on my own. This, my friends, is to put up reinforcements. We build a friendship with Jesus. We build into our relationship by the power of the Holy Spirit. We stay alert. And then as we're alert, we're also accountable. We are accountable for the things that we do wrong. I feel a little bit tentative. Well, whenever we talk about the spiritual enemy to our souls, the reality of spiritual warfare. On the one hand, I don't really want to believe in Satan. Anyone else? Anyone else? I really don't want to. Like, I just want to think of him as a footnote, and uh, like, I, w- I want to think of him as this ghoulish character that comes out each October that really just needs to go back in his box and shut up. That's the way I want to think of of of, of Satan. But like, that is not what the Bible says. It's not that. And other people, unfortunately, when they think of Satan, they think of this vast power that's actually giving more power to Satan than he actually has. I do appreciate youth today are probably a little bit more open-minded to the reality of spiritual darkness than some people in my generation. They understand that there's such vast wickedness in this world that does sometimes seem demonic. But some youth, I've noticed, get captivated by horror films, and by images of the demonic. And as they're captivated by it, they sometimes begin to take on a false theology that says, like, demons can come into my life against my will and hijack my soul. Or a false theology that Satan can make me do things against my will. Or a false theology that the Antichrist or Satan can implant the mark of the beast into my body against my will. All of which are totally false. Satan cannot hijack you, my friends, against your will. He doesn't have that much power. Satan and demons cannot control you against your will. The Bible flatly rejects such thinking. Again, please hear the Apostle John on this as he's writing about spiritual powers in 1 John chapter 4. He says, You, dear children, are from God and you have overcome them. You have overcome the spiritual powers. Why? Because greater is the one who dwells in you than the one who dwells in the world. If you've embraced Christ Jesus as your Lord, then the Holy Spirit now dwells in you, and his power is far greater than the one in the world. And so no one else outside can trick you against your will, and therefore you are accountable for what you do. God has given you free will, and the enemy cannot take that away from you. By show of hands, have you ever heard someone say, oh, the devil made me do it? Come on, raise your hand if you heard that. Oh, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. You you, you just tell that person, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Be accountable for your own actions. Understand that the spiritual battle is real, but greater is the one who lives in you. Greater is the one who lives in you than the power of the one who lives in the world. Now, if you disbelieve in the existence of a spiritual enemy, then you cannot be alert to his truth-twisting schemes, right? But if you're infatuated with dark spiritual powers, then again, you will overestimate Satan's power. Instead, we recognize the enemy is real, but the Holy Spirit in us is greater. We stay alert, we are accountable, and then third, in the battle that we all face, we admit... We admit when we lose a battle. It's a very good and wise thing for us to quickly admit when we lose one of our spiritual battles. You know, one of the paradoxes of the Christian life is this. Repentance is power. That's kind of crazy thinking to this world. and In fact, I know it's crazy thinking to some of you. Repentance is power. It really is. Because when we repent, we turn away from our own dominion and toward, and toward God's dominion. When we repent, we turn away from the way we were going, and then we turn back home, back home into God's reign over our lives. 1 John 1, verse 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So like, if the truth is not in you, then that's a position of weakness. If you claim to be without sin, the truth is not in you, and that's a position of weakness. But if you confess your sin, then the truth is in you, and that becomes a position of power. And not only so, God is faithful and He is just to forgive you of your sin at the moment that you confess it, to cleanse you, to purify you from all unrighteousness. That's strength, that's a position of power. Now, Please understand, to admit one's sin is not to say, oh, I'm sorry, 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 all the time. Woe is me, I should just go eat worms and sit in a corner all by myself. It's not that. It's to agree with God what he's already said about some misstep in our own lives. And then to say, I was going this way, and this way is really not healthy for me. I'm coming back home to you, God. I'm coming your way. I'm coming back home to you. That's that's really all repentance is. You think about it, like when you do that in your marriage... Your marriage gets stronger. To quickly apologize gives your marriage an opportunity to quickly forgive and to get stronger together. But if you don't apologize, then what happens? Pride and anger and resentment and bitterness builds up. And sometimes record-keeping, too. Or in your sibling relationships. You quickly apologize, you can deal with it. You forgive and you move on. You learn from each other. Same thing in our friendships. Same thing in our life groups. Why would it be any different in our relationship with God? We quickly apologize when we miss the mark. And God, who is so faithful and loving, who cares about us so deeply, he restores us and strengthens us well once again. This is a position of power. The repentance is not something that you just do once well when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. No, this is a regular rhythm of life because all of us miss the mark on a regular basis, me too, and so on a regular basis, we have to turn back toward what God wants to us, what with the commandments that he's given us that are the very best thing for our souls. And friends, this is part of the way that God uses a gift to humble us and to keep us back on course. And very significantly for our purposes today, repentance is part of God's gift to take a struggle and prevent it from becoming a stronghold. I'll give you an example in my own life. I shared it already. Five, six, seven months ago, I don't know why. Out of nowhere, I do know why. But like it was kind of a new thing. I started struggling with bitterness. It wasn't something that I had struggled with before in my life. But it's like there's new temptations and new seasons of life. And there were several suffering experiences that I've gone through, just like we all do, over the last 18 months. And as I was processing through all of that, I just started to kind of get upset with God and upset with a couple people, and not really wanting to forgive a couple people. And I wrote down in my prayer journal on June 23rd, in my suffering right now, God, I ask that you would guard me from bitterness. As I often feel lonely and unstable these days, would you please guard me from anger and bitterness and doubt? Would you please meet me in my emotions? Please settle my feet once again. Please grant me your hope in this valley. Make me lie down in green pastures. Amen. It wasn't very eloquent. It wasn't very churchy. Maybe not befitting of your pastor, sorry. Not sorry. Just honest to God. Just honest to God. And God met me there. And I can tell you that that struggle is much less today than it was five months ago. Okay? And I have to still fight against it. But it's much, much less today than it was five months ago because I began to really pray about it. And I began to really admit it to God, my need. We have this choice whenever we see it in ourselves. It would be lust or greed or envy or anger or pride, whatever it is. Whenever we see it in ourselves, we have this choice. You can have an angry outburst toward your husband or your wife, and they tell you that it hurt. And you can humble yourself and say, I'm sorry. Or you can dig your heels in, and you can say, I have a right to be angry. Or you can say what our world says all the time, if you're not angry, you're just not paying attention. And of course, I'm outraged, and I'm just gonna carry around outrage. And guess what? If you do that, that'll become a stronghold. And it won't be pleasant for you or for the people around you. And this is true across any number of different issues. This was Elvis's problem according to his manager anyway, it was the false love, the adulation, the needing, the people pleasing, the constant affirmation that he needed from the crowd became an addiction for him. While the world was his oyster and yet it became an addiction for him. And I'm not throwing stones because I see the same temptations in him that could happen in me, but we are wise to arrest ourselves to see it and to admit and to bring it back up to acknowledge our our need for help from the Holy Spirit and from a few others. And finally, when we see these things in our lives, we put on the full armor of God. Okay, we admit it, we're accountable, we're alert, and we put on the full armor of God. You'll see this amazing passage here, which I regularly pray, and I'm going to pray it over you in just a few moments out of Ephesians chapter 6. And if you're open there right now, we're just going to read it together. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20 And this is this amazing passage in which the Apostle Paul, who's just as bold as a lion, recognizes though that he needs God's help every day. And this is the way he prays. And he asks his church to pray for him this way also as he fights his various spiritual battles against the flesh, against the world, and against our spiritual enemy, Satan. Listen to this, starting at verse 10. finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms around us. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes as it will, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. In case we didn't get it, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. This afternoon, I want to encourage you to do two things. Number one, what is the struggle? What is my struggle that, if left unchecked, can become a stronghold? Or perhaps, is it a stronghold already? And therefore, what is your plan? To stay alert, to be accountable, to admit, to put on the full armor. And then after you've done that, I want you to go into your scriptures, and I want you to underline or circle or highlight each of those elements of the full armor of God. I want to invite you to begin praying these. Begin praying these over your life. Whatever your area of struggle, begin praying that over your area of struggle. Maybe it's a stronghold and you put this on each and every day as you bring in reinforcements and then you're equipped for the battle that's in front of you. It takes time, for sure, but during different seasons, when I struggle with some of the same things that you struggle with, that you're thinking about right now, I imagine these portraits. And after meditating on them, I begin to pray them over my entire frame. And then I move forward with greater strength. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Adrian Boykin from Carney E. Free. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.